since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the outdoor, who was the doorkeeper, and, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the doorkeeper to Peter, you're one of this man's disciples too, aren't you? I'm not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing there warming themselves, and Peter standing with them warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciple, about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why did it hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, Aren't you one of the disciples too? And he denied and said, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, you, you show us so much about these central figures, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, but it's also that we can give glory to your holy name. I just pray that you'd be with every person here. I pray that, Lord, that you open their hearts and their minds. And I just pray that, Lord, that, that you would, would teach us so that we might glorify your holy name in all that we say and in all that we do. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um... When you read this section of scripture, if this is the only thing that you read, you don't really get the whole picture. Now, um, one of the things I, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for is uh, when I was in the Ph.D. program at Southwestern, I was extremely fortunate to have a, a seminar in, in biblical theology with Edward Earl Ellis. Now, Dr. Ellis um, was a world-renowned scholar of biblical theology. In fact, there's a, a, uh, a book on biblical commentators, and it says of Dr. Ellis, something it says of no one else. It says that he is the scholar's scholar. In other words, he's the guy that scholars go to to find out what, what, what's really there. And, you know, Dr. Ellis's seminars, he would, he would go from the Greek to the Hebrew to, to Latin. I mean, like it was nothing. And, and one of the things that he taught us was 
when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the four Gospels, each of the Gospel writers had a distinct and different purpose. When you look at Matthew, he is trying to reach a Jewish audience. And so he's really tailored the Gospel of Matthew so it's crystal clear to, to, to the Jews just who Jesus Christ really is. When, when you look at Mark, one of the things that, that Mark was not an apostle, but, you know, he may have been on the scene, and he was a, a, an associate, associate of Peter, and, you know, he got a lot of the information that, he, that he's writing down. He got it from Peter. When you look at Luke, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and what Luke says in chapter 1, the first few verses, he explains, look, I'm trying to give a detailed, accurate account of what, what happened. And, and John is writing to Greeks, and he's emphasizing the deity of Christ. And so when you read these four Gospels, you get the whole picture. And, and each of these guys focuses on something that, that they want to get across, but it's really to your benefit when you can look at, at what all four of them have to say. And when you look at this particular piece of scripture, what you find is four primary characters, okay? You've got Annas, you've got Caiaphas, you have Jesus, and then you have Peter. So this, uh, this, this section, starting with verse 12, says, Then the company of soldiers, the commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus and tied him up. And they first led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. So let's look at, at Annas and Caiaphas, okay? Annas had served as high priest from 6 A.D. to 15 A.D. And, you know, what is, was supposed to happen, according to the Old Testament, is when you're appointed high priest, you're appointed high priest for the rest of your life. Well, once the Romans took over, it didn't work out that way. Basically, once the Romans took over, what happened was they pretty much found somebody that they could work with. Now, he had to be qualified. He had to be a descendant of Aaron. And, you know, it had to be of the tribe of Levi and all that. And, and had to come from a priestly family. And, and Annas met all of those qualifications, and they made him the high priest. And he served from 6 A.D. to 15 A.D. And here's one of the other interesting things, okay? He has five sons who were appointed high priest after him. So this guy was extremely influential. And if it's not enough that he's got five sons, not only did he serve as high priest himself and had five sons, but his son-in-law was now high priest. So there was a guy who carried a lot of weight in Israel at this point in time. He had all connections, he had all the authority, he had all the power, and even though he was not high priest at this point, you know, he was working with Caiaphas. He was working with the Sanhedrin. He, he uh, was extremely well connected in the system. 
And so they send him to Jesus first. And, and what some think is that they sent him, Jesus, to Annas first in order to give Caiaphas the, the opportunity and time to get the rest of the Sanhedrin together. And one of the things, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to note that there are some commentators who believe that one of the many reasons that Annas and Caiaphas hated Jesus so much is because of a section of scripture in Luke chapter 16. Turn there with me, if you will. And in Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19, you... you you have what appears to be the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Okay? Now, you remember this, this section of Scripture. And let's, let's cut to the chase here. Um, let's go to um, verse 27. Um, the rich man says to Abraham, Father, he says, I beg you to send me to my father's house because i have how many brothers five brothers to warn them so they won't come to this place of torment but abraham said they have moses and the prophets they should listen to to them no father abraham he said but if someone from the dead goes to them they will repent but he told them if you don't listen to moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead, okay? Well, somebody was raised to the dead while Caiaphas was high priest. Do you remember who that was? Remember what his name was? Lazarus! So, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they were still in disbelief. And Jesus had given this what appeared to be a parable, but it really kind of described their situation, didn't it? Let's take a look at um, look a look at John. Um, and let's go to chapter eleven. And one of the things you see when you look at chapter 11 is you see that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But when, right after that, in verse 5, it says this, Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing so many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people 
rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. They wanted him dead. And they wanted him dead because time after time, he had shown that these guys were frauds. He had shown that these guys were false guides, that they were blind guides. And he had shown that they weren't all that they were making themselves out to be. So, one of the things that happens when we look at John chapter chapter 18, the first person he goes to is Annas. Okay? And Annas, you know, tries to question him. One of the other people, we've looked at, at, at both, you know, Caiaphas, Annas and Caiaphas, but, well... Let's take a look at Caiaphas for just a moment. moment. Caiaphas was high priest from 18 to 36 A.D. And he had the longest time as high priest under the Romans. In in fact, um, he probably got along with the Romans better than than anybody else. Um, But you know, this was, well, he, he just wasn't a good man. He was, he was made the high priest, really, um, by Pilate, well, his, his predecessor, actually. Um, and so he got along with Pilate. I mean, they weren't friends. But at the same time, they got along. Now, Annas and Caiaphas were close with each other. Um, In the end, they were united against Jesus. Let's go back to John chapter chapter 18. Let's take a look at verse 15. One of the things that we see here is Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. And that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. Now, one of the things that Jesus had said was, he says, look, he would said to to all the disciples, you're going to be scattered. You guys are going to run away. And pretty much that's what happened. For all except two. One was Peter. And the other was John. Now, when you look at um, chapter 13, let's go to John chapter 13. Let's go to verse 36. Lord, Simon Peter asked him, 
Where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord Peter asked, Why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Well, I'm sure that kind of caught Peter's attention. But you know, if that's all you read, you're not getting everything. Let's now go to Luke chapter 22. Now let's go to verse 31. Simon, Simon, look at Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. Now, you only see this in Luke. Now, you know, Luke wasn't there because he was an associate of Paul. But because of the fact that Luke was trying to get a detailed account of what happened, I'm sure that what happened was that Luke interviewed all the, the apostles who were there. And I'm sure he spent some time talking with Peter one-on-one -on -one and got this perspective. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. There's a few things we need to look at here. You know, Satan doesn't just do anything that he won't do. He has to ask the Lord's permission before he will attack you. We see the same situation in Job. Job, this righteous man, Satan says, look, you remove the hedge around him, and this guy will curse you his face, to your face. And the Lord said, okay, I'm going to remove the hedge. Have a go at him. But God had to give his permission first. And here's something I think we need to take into account when we think about Peter. He was under satanic attack. He was under the gun. And whereas Job passed the test the first time, and really the second time, eventually he stumbles. Peter stumbles right out the gate. So there's a few things I think we need to, to realize here. Number one, you might think you have it together in the Lord. You don't. You just don't. You might think you're faithful. You might think that, you might think that nobody's a better servant. You might think that nobody's more dedicated than you. you know, regardless of how long you've known the Lord, you can stumble horribly. But you know something? 
Our salvation does not depend on our strength. Who does the saving, folks? Jesus does the saving. He holds us his hands. We can't jump out. He's holding on to you and to me regardless of some of the stupid things we say, regardless of some of the stupid things that we do, some of the sinful things we do. And, you know, sin always makes you weak and stupid. But he is holding on to you and to me. And here's the thing. One of the things that the Lord says to him in Luke chapter 22, he says, verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What does he mean by this? Not that you won't stumble, but that it won't fail in a permanent kind of way. Now, you know, when this happened to Peter, he was a broken man. He never thought that this was possible. And, you know, it is not until we are broken that we can serve him the kind of way the Lord really wants to use us in. You know, we have these illusions about ourselves. And, you know, the Lord uses these kind of opportunities to show us what's really in us. He goes on to say, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, once Peter has fallen like this, he's really capable of leading them in the right kind of way, leading them with humility. Because now he he knows, he realizes what his own weaknesses are. He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when, in you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Then he goes on and says, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow until you deny three times that you know me. Now, when, when you look at Mark, Mark's account of the, the same, same section here. Mark doesn't list this thing about Satan demanding to sift you as wheat. But one of the things that Mark notes is that before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He's the only one to make that point. Let's go back to, to uh, John. And let's go to to verse uh, chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so it went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Now, 
it's likely that this other disciple was John. We don't know that, but apparently he had some connection, and because he had some connection, he was able to get the two of them into the courtyard. Verse 16, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And what we have here is the first denial. I'm not, he said. Now, the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. It's interesting to note that in all four accounts, John is the only one to note that this was charcoal fire. And they were standing there warming themselves. Peter was standing with them warming himself. Now, one of the other interesting things, when you look at the four accounts, John and Mark do something very interesting. They bounce between Peter and Jesus. The others don't really do this. But this is one of the things that happens with those two two gospel accounts. And let's go to verse 19. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. Now, one of the interesting things here is when you look at Jewish jurisprudence, prudence, it is all about witnesses. In fact, you don't, you don't really question the accused. What you do is you question the witnesses. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Verse 2, if a man or a woman among you in one of your towns that the Lord your God will give you is discovered doing evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violating his covenant and has gone and served other gods by bowing to worship to the sun or moon or all the stars of the sky, which I have forbidden. And if you are told or hear about it, then investigate thoroughly. If the reports turn out to be true that this detestable act has been done in Israel, you are to bring out to your city the man or woman who's done this evil thing and stoned them to death. The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. The witnesses' hands are to be put are to be the first in putting him to death, and after that, the hand of all the people, you must purge the evil from you. So what was supposed to happen is you're supposed to question. The witnesses. And how many witnesses do you need at least? You need at least two. 
But you'll notice that one of the things that happens when he's being questioned by Annas is they're not looking for witnesses. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying, well, they are, they are, they're violating their own legal system. And, you know, the reason that they were willing to do this is because they already knew what the outcome was supposed to be, right? They wanted him dead. This is no, there was no secret here. You know, time after time, when you look throughout the Gospel of John, people, you know, asked them, you know, why do you want to kill him? And, and it's clear when you look throughout the, the scripture that they just wanted him dead. So they're going to work the system so that it comes out that way. Verse 22. Verse 21. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. He's reminding them of the proper legal process. When he said these things, one of the officials standing, standing by slapped Jesus saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? You know, the thing is, these guys were not interested in justice. They were abusing the system in every way. So, verse 23, Jesus says, if I've spoken wrong, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Well, they didn't get what they wanted out of Jesus. So, verse 24, then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, you know, John is the only one that records this um, the situation with Annas. Um, not entirely clear why, but John includes this. Verse 5. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, when you read the other Gospels, this is where you see the rest of the picture. So let's see what the other Gospels have to say about Jesus before Caiaphas. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Verse 57. Those 
who arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward and stated, The man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to these men who are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, to really understand what Jesus was saying here, we have to go to Daniel chapter 7. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Now let's go to verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. And as I continued watching the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Okay? This is the vision of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is God. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, in response to, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus said, you've said it, Jesus told him, but I tell you in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. When Jesus identified himself with the Son of Man, he's saying that he is God and that he is the descendant of David, a king. And that's enough for them to condemn him to death. And you see the same sort of thing in Mark chapter 14, verses 
53 to 65 and Luke chapter 22 verses 67, 66 to 71. Jesus identifies himself with the Son of Man. He identifies himself as a king, as, as God. And now they have what they want. But here's the thing. They can't kill him. Oh, they can beat him up. They can do all sorts of things to him. And, in fact, they did do all other sorts of things to him. But legally, under the Romans, they couldn't kill him. Which is why they have to hand him over to Pilate. And they have to accuse him of being a king, which makes him guilty of sedition. And under Roman law, if you claim to be a king, then you're a rival to Caesar and your life ain't worth a plug nickel in that circumstance. Now, these guys have worked the system. They've plotted for a few years. They've plotted in detail about getting Jesus, of putting him to death, because they wanted to hold on to their position, they wanted to hold on to their power, they wanted to keep the Roman government at bay. And now they've got everything wrapped up in a bow, they think. And Peter, well, Peter is destroyed. When you look at John 18.27, he denies the third time. says, Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. And it's interesting when you read the perspective of some of these others. Because when you read the parallel section in Matthew and Mark and Luke, one of the things that it says is that Peter wept bitterly. In fact, um, when you look at Luke in particular, you get another interesting insight. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 again. And let's go to um, verse 54. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw that he was sitting in the light, and closely at him, she said, this man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, he said. About an hour later, another insisting, this man was certainly with them since he's also a Galilean. 
But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he wept, went outside and wept bitterly. Right at this third denial, the Lord was obviously in a position where he could look out a window. And he looked at Peter right after that denial. And how that must have crushed him. And you know, Peter had all these visions of being right there with Jesus at the end. Peter had all these ideas that he was going to be a a significant leader uh, of people. And now he had betrayed Christ. And now he was a broken man who was weeping bitterly. Now, folks, I think one thing we have to take to account is this. Any one of us can stumble. Any one of us can fall. And when we do, if you belong to him, the story is not over. You know, when you look um, at Ananias, and when you look at Annas and Caiaphas, the first time these guys appear is in Luke chapter 2. Oh, let's see. No, Luke chapter 3, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 3, let's go to verse 1. In the 50th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of the Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. This is the first place you see of them, but it's not the last place you see of them. Let's go turn now to Acts. Let's go to chapter 4. Verse 1, while they were still speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. And with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, 
and all the members of the high priestly family, and they had Peter and John stand before them, and they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by which, by what means was he healed? Let it be known to you, all of you, that to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is a stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which people must be saved. So here's the thing. These guys stayed in power. And in fact, they stayed in power almost up to the time of Titus in 70 A.D. But they never repented. They never came to Christ. Despite all the miracles that they saw Christ do, despite all the miracles that they saw Peter and John and the other apostles, And Peter, despite the fact that he denied Christ three times, God was not done with him yet. His story isn't over. And no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how faithless you are, he is still faithful. And if you belong to him, he can use you in the same way that he used Peter for glory to his holy name. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we, we are so thankful for your grace for your mercy, for your loving kindness. We are so thankful for what you are doing with, with each of us. And, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, that, Lord, that they would receive you today. Pray that, Lord, that if there's anyone here who, who does know you, but who has stumbled, who has fallen, Lord, I just pray that they, would, that they would hold on to you as you are holding on to them. And that, Lord, that you would just continue to bless them, to guide them, to use them in a way that, that only you can. Lord, help each of us to be faithful witnesses and help us, Lord, to glorify your holy name in all that we say and all that we do. These things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.